0: If you would turn in your Bibles to the the Gospel of, of John, John chapter ten. It's found on page one thousand sixty-five. John ten, we're gonna be reading verses twenty six through thirty. Actually let's just start at verse twenty two. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. I was reading something about earlier this, this week about the Golden Gate Bridge in California, that I kind of found interesting. Maybe some of you knew this already. The bridge was built about 1937 at a cost of about $77 million. During the construction of the first part of the bridge, there was no safety devices, no safety nets that were below the bridge, and 20 people fell to their death as they were building the bridge. That was for the first half of the bridge building. When it came to the second half... They got a little smarter, and so then they they put up this um, this huge net underneath the, uh, the the bridge, and apparently it cost about hundred thousand dollars, which back then was a lot of money for a, a safety device. But they found something interesting that happened. Not only did it save ten people's lives who who fell um, after it was installed and and saved them; they were totally unhurt. Um, but they found that that all the those who were in the construction of the bridge suddenly began to work faster. Um, they were able to complete that part of the, the, the bridge um, in, in way less time than what they were, were predicting. It, it just seemed like the, the men were able to work so much faster. And the reason for that was because these people no longer had to fear falling to their death. But They knew that that net was there and that gave them the confidence to uh, work faster and, uh, and get the job done. And I think, really, there's a, a parallel there between this and, and our salvation. When a believer is saved and has been washed in, in the blood of Jesus, they're no longer afraid of eternity. They no longer have to be afraid of, of one day going to hell. The assurance of salvation sets them free to then serve the Lord See, they can, they can serve, they can focus on doing the Lord's work because they no longer have to keep thinking about their own salvation because they're confident that in Christ Jesus there is salvation and, and their salvation is secure. This morning, as you probably have guessed, we're at the last letter of the acronym TULIP. And this morning we're going to be talking about the perseverance of the saints or our eternal security. Listen now. the canons of Dort put this. I'm only reading part of it. They whom God has accepted in his beloved Son, effectually called and sanctified by his Spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. You might remember what Paul said in Romans 8.30 when we began this study and we focused on that. That passage, that those God foreknew were predestined, those he predestined, he called, those he called are justified, and those he justified are glorified. No one of the elect are lost. Their future is eternally secure. This is an amazing and and wonderful truth. And I hope it thrills you as you think about it. You don't have to worry about losing your salvation if you are truly a child of God. You don't have to worry about losing it. Even if you go astray for a time, the Lord is at work and will just keep pulling you back, pulling you back. And he does it out of his great love for us. And we talked last time about, or earlier, about the irresistible grace of of God. And when it comes, it, it just floods and overwhelms us, that love, and there's no refusing it. And why would you to love that incredible? There's so many places in Scripture that, that speaks of our eternal security, but I want to focus on just one passage mainly, and, and that's the passage that, we're, that I read a moment ago. You might remember that we've looked at this uh, chapter before when we were looking at the I Am statements of, of Jesus, I Am the Good Shepherd, Um, We looked at the first 18 verses, um, but this morning we're just going to look at at the ones that we covered, that we read earlier. We're told in in the verses preceding our text that many of the Jews gathered around Jesus and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us. You know, once in a while I love that, that program that comes on TV um, called World's Funniest Videos, and once in a while they'll show clips of uh, a couple trying to share with their friends or their parents that they're pregnant, that they're going to have a baby. And even though they give them all kinds of clues, even wearing a t-shirt that says something about them being grandparents, it goes right over their heads, and that's the funny part of, about it. They, sometimes they can just be so clueless, like, like we all can be. I think that's true for the Jews as well. They, they, they were clueless. Despite Jesus telling them who he was, despite all the miracles that Jesus performed, they couldn't see it. And the reason Jesus says they were unable to believe was because they're not his sheep. There's a story of an American tourist who was traveling in the, in the Middle East, and she came to, upon several uh, shepherds who were watering at this creek. And all the sheep, as they, they watered, were all mingled together. Until one of the shepherds turned toward the sheep and called out, Mana, 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 which means, follow me in Arabic, Arabic. Immediately the sheep that belonged to the shepherd, they separated, and they followed him as he walked away. And then the next shepherd did the same thing, mana, mana, follow me. And his sheep pulled themselves out of the, the flock and they started to follow this man. And the tourist says, well, can I wear your, 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 um, your robe? Let me see if I can call them. And, and the shepherd with a knowing smile on his face says, okay, gave her his, uh, his cloak. And so she went toward the sheep and she goes, mana, mana. And they didn't even lift their heads up. They didn't even look at her. They just kept eating grass, totally ignoring her. Why did they ignore her? Because she wasn't their shepherd, and they didn't recognize her voice. And once the shepherd called to them, they immediately lifted their heads, and they began to follow the real shepherd. This is what Jesus says in verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. His sheep follow him. You know when the bible pictures us as sheep it's not the most flattering picture is it if you spent any time around sheep you, you you know what this what I'm talking about sheep are dirty they're easily led astray they're not the brightest animals in all the world they can easily get themselves in trouble they'll drink anything even the most polluted water they'll eat anything even poisonous weeds They can't get rid of their own parasites and ticks on their own. They need help from their shepherd. They can be stubborn. And you know what? They don't smell that good. They really don't. (laughs) This is what Jesus is comparing us to. It's not the most flattering picture, is it? I mean, we often think of sheep, those little fluffy things, you know, that you see as stuffed animals. Oh, they're so cute and white and clean. Yeah, that's not it at all. That's not the picture you should have in your mind. We can be a lot like sheep. Wandering from our shepherd. Getting ourselves in trouble. Becoming covered with the filth of sin. Jesus says, even when this happens, his sheep will not perish. And no one will take them from him. Verse 28, I will give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. They are his, and he will call them to himself. And because the Father is greater than all, Jesus also says that no one will be able to snatch them out of his Father's hands. And because he and the Father are one, no one will be able to snatch them out of Jesus' hands as well. To emphasize his point, Jesus actually uses a double negative in verse 28 that we don't see clearly in our Bibles. But if you really wanted to be more literal, it would sound something like this. I give them eternal life that they will never, never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hands. That's actually what it says in the Greek. But we can't do that in the English, so there's just, there's just one. But when Jesus repeats things, it's for a reason. And what he's saying is no one will ever, ever be able to take us from Jesus' hands. This is what makes the perseverance of the saints possible. None of those who are called by God and redeemed are going to be lost. They may wander away for a time, but God's grace is irresistible and the prodigal son and daughter will return home. In Romans eight thirty three, 33, Paul lists in the following verses there, but he lists three possible things that can threaten our relationship with God. And despite our accuser trying to condemn us for our sin, despite our walking through the valley of suffering or being attacked by supernatural powers or facing the wickedness of sin all around us in the world, none of these things can triumph over us because we are the victors in Christ Jesus. We are the victors. His power becomes ours when we give our lives to Jesus and the Holy Spirit fills us. And because Christ declares us righteous through his blood, that means no one can accuse us and nothing can ever separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what the Bible says. God will hold us fast to the very end. And as I said earlier, since we don't have to live each day wondering if we're good enough to go to heaven, wondering if we need to earn our our salvation somehow, help God out, we don't even have to go there. It frees us to now serve the Lord with our lives because we are secure. Again, we know that no one will ever be able to separate us from the love of God. Of Jesus. Remember when my kids were little, sometimes I would put a, a quarter in my hand and tell them if they could pry my fingers open, they can have the quarter. Usually one of them couldn't do it, but kids are kids and they would all gang up on me and pin me down to the ground and pry their dear old dad's fingers open and take the quarter. But you know what? When when God the Father holds us in his hands who we just said is all-powerful and almighty, there's nothing that can ever take us from him. Nothing in creation is powerful enough to pry his hands up. We're secure in his love. But there's another part to this doctrine that we don't often think about. It also means the saints will and must persevere in their faith and walk in obedience, which is the fruit of faith. Election is unconditional, but glorification it's not. There are many warnings in Scripture warning us that if we don't hold fast to Christ, that we can be lost in the end. Now hear me when I say that. I say that carefully. When you are a child of God, again, nothing will separate you from the love of Jesus. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. If you're not living for the Lord, if he's not first, if there's no fruit on the branches of your life, the fruit of faith, the fruit of the Spirit. If, if, there's none, if there's none visible, then it really calls into question do you know the Lord? Because you're going to naturally bear that fruit if you're rooted into the vine. You're part of Christ Jesus. Listen to how John puts this aspect of, of perseverance in First John 2 3. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as Jesus did, as Jesus walked. John Piper, he tells a story about a a meeting he had with a woman. In his church. Apparently the woman, a, a former missionary kid, was having an affair. And because an angry husband who caught her alerted the, the church leaders, that's how he came to know about it. When, when Piper confronted this woman, she acted like it was no big deal. Because she was uh, in, in denial about what she was doing. Piper read to her from 1 Corinthians 6.9, which, which is this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. woman said to Piper, But this can't happen to me. I'm a child of God. I'm, I'm saved. My parents were, were missionaries. I grew up on the mission field. That doesn't describe me. But Piper told her, if you don't cut off this affair, you're going to hell. Plain and simple. If you don't cut off this affair, you're going to hell. The woman got angry with Piper at first, but eventually she confessed her sin Sins and and, and broke off that relationship, that affair. Piper says that eventually uh, this woman and her her husband, who were restored together, they, they moved away from the area. But for the last 28 years, every Christmas, this woman sends Piper a thank you card at Christmas, telling him that she is so thankful that he loved her enough to tell her what the Bible actually said. Even though it was something that she didn't care to hear at the time. Piper said many Christians believe in, I think you could say, a mechanical perseverance. Once you accept Jesus, you're good, you're saved, you can slide on home, you don't have to worry about your sins any longer. This isn't a biblical view of God's work in in persevering his people. Scripture says perseverance also involves our effort. This aspect of perseverance is like sanctification. Clearly, it's something that the Holy Spirit does within us, but it's also something that we join in with. Sanctification isn't just one way, it's something that that we have to make decisions about every single day. Are we going to put the Lord first or not? Are we going to do things God's way? Sometimes it's those little choices that keep us on on, on the straight and narrow. Those little choices in obedience to God is what keeps us spiritually healthy. One last thing I want to say about perseverance of the saints and that's that this doctrine, this perseverance of the saints, it's really a, a community project. It's something that we don't do alone, but it's something that we do together. God never meant for us to fight the, the, the fight of faith all by ourselves. That's why we have the family of God the body of Christ. And so we can go to one another and draw on each other's strength. There's going to be times when you're weak and another is strong, and that's when you stand next to each other and encourage and support each other. There's going to be times when you're weak, and so others will come alongside of you and be an encouragement to you, tell you what the Bible says, lift you up in your faith. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.10. I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Why was Paul willing to endure so much throughout his life, even be in prison, in order to bring the good news to others? It required sacrifice. It required love. This is what God calls each of us to be part of, for each of us to do. Well, salvation is for God's elect, it's it's a sure thing. It cannot fail. Yet the way God has ordained to make it certain is by the means of empowering God's people to stand together, to stand together as a family and encourage each other, which means we need to share our needs with one another. We need to confess our sins with each other. That way we can stand alongside each other and and pray for each other and lift each other up. If we don't know what's going on, how can we pray? I'm sure you've all had the experience of a close friend, maybe not sharing with you what's going on in their life. And later on, when they do share the burden that's been on their hearts, you think to yourself, well, why didn't you share that with me a week ago or two weeks ago or a month ago? I could have been praying for you, I could have been standing with you. Isn't that pride? When we try to do it alone, do it on our own, we don't want anyone else to know anything about us our lives, our problems. That's the point the author of Hebrews is making in Hebrews 3.12. Take care, brothers, lest there be, any, any, uh, be in any of you any evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. But exhort one another... Encourage one another. God will not allow any of his luck to fall away into destruction. And the way he does that, one of the main ways that he does that is through his church, through the family of God, says Jude 24. Perseverance of the saints. What what an amazing doctrine. I hope it encourages you as you hear it of God's love for you his unwillingness to let you go that nothing in this world can separate us from that love the love of Jesus and even now he's promised to provide and care for you and lead you home he's so committed to you he'll go to any any length to keep you spiritually healthy He woos and encourages you. He prods and he disciplines you. Why? Because he loves you. Not because he's trying to punish you, because he loves you and he wants to draw you closer. The only way we can know true peace and happiness is in fellowship with Jesus. And so he helps us get rid of those things in our life that are distracting us so that we can be focused on him. He even commits himself to our children under the blessing of the covenant, sanctifying them to be more like Jesus through the working of the Holy Spirit. Another amazing truth that I could preach a whole sermon on, just on that. This morning, if you feel dirty, your wool is all matted. If you're tired of trying to do things in your own strength, you're tired of just going round and round in circles, seem to be aimless, I encourage you to come to the Good Shepherd He's actually calling your name. He's calling your name, calling you to come home. Jesus loves us so much that despite being those smelly sheep that I described a little while ago, the Bible pictures him as carrying us close to his heart, close to his chest, keeping you safe. As a result, I hope you can joyfully proclaim what the catechism writer was able to proclaim when he asked, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Who knows the opening of that? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Father in heaven, we just thank you Lord, for your great love for us, Jesus, that you are willing to die on the cross for all our sins. Lord, forgive us when we try to do things in our own strength and we make such a mess of it. Forgive us when we don't look to you. In fact, we run away from you. But Lord, this morning we again turn our eyes to you and we just pray that we might again experience the fellowship that can only come at your side, the sweetness of that fellowship, of knowing your love, the peace that floods our soul when we walk with you. Father, open our eyes to see the needs of those around us. Help us to remember the responsibility we have to one another. And we just pray that together. Lord, whatever time we have left, until you come again, Jesus, that we might walk together serving you and carrying out your mission. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.